Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. There was a reckoning happening across this country. And if there was ever a time to look back and to pinpoint and identify your failings in the area of race and race coverage, this is it. The demonstrations for social justice and equality last summer got many journalists thinking seriously about a problem we all knew existed, the lack of diversity in newsrooms and the lack of coverage of communities of color. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Beret Rose Williams is an education reporter for the Kansas City Star. She's also the co-creator of the Star's series, The Truth in Black and White, about the paper's historic failure to cover racism and discrimination in Kansas City. Welcome to the podcast, Marie Rose. Nice to be here, Michael. To start off with, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background? You know, what got you interested in journalism and you know, how'd you end up at the Kansas City Star? Well, I've been a journalist for many years, and I've been at the Star for 22 years. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Long Island, New York. That's where I grew up, and grew up reading Newsday newspaper as a kid. And so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a funny story. My mom used to always tell me, you know, it's like, oh my God, you are the nosiest child. And she would say, and you cannot keep a secret, which is very true. And those two parts of my character are sort of what led me into journalism. You know, I want to know what's going on. I always wanted to know what's going on and then I wanted to share it. And so I was just sort of steered. I loved reading the paper. It was something I always wanted to do. So I, I was sort of steered into, into journalism because of that. So I went to Ohio University. That's where I got my, my degree in journalism, news writing and editing. And immediately after that, went to work for Gannett Paper in, believe it or not, Huntington, West Virginia. And so I worked there for five years. And of course, my whole goal was to get back to my hometown newspaper, which is, was Newsday. I eventually did, but before I got there, I ended up working in Connecticut at the Herald Dispatch for about three or four years, and then went from there to Newsday, worked for Newsday for about almost three years, and then from there to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, worked for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for about nine years, and then from there to Kansas City, to the Kansas City Star. I got to the Kansas City Star because my husband, well, my late husband, had worked for the Kansas City Star many, back in the 80s, and he was semi-retired or had just stopped working at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and some friends from Kansas City said, oh, there was a position open in Kansas City, and they wanted to know if he would be interested in coming back, and he did. So when he went to Kansas City, you know, I went with him and ended up working there, and I've been there for 22 years. Wow. You made all the right stops, I guess, that you're supposed to as a journalist. And, and then you ended up a long-term job in Kansas City. Have you been the education there reporter primarily, or have you had a number of different jobs there? Yes, education. I've been the education writer at the Star for the full 22 years. And I, I started out covering just K-12 education and then went to covering higher ed, and then as we were, as the staff was getting smaller, which has happened to newspapers all across the country, as you know, I ended up covering both K-12 
and higher ed, which is what I do now. So I basically cover education, what I call birth to death. <laughs> so I cover K-12 education, higher education, and anything in between both locally, regionally, and nationally, education in all aspects. Cool. So, you know, I invited you to come out on the podcast because we, we had seen that this the series that the, uh, the Kansas City Star had done about its, its history, you know, how it covered race. And I love the, the opening line to the truth in black and white, which is, today we are telling the story of a powerful local business that has done wrong. So what was it in the Star's history that had done wrong? Well, the Star, like other mainstream media across the country, and this is not just the Kansas City Star, but mainstream media as a whole, because as you know, newspapers and other forms of media are reflective of the society in which they operate. And we know that we live in a society that for decades and decades has been marginalized people of color, black people and people of color. And so as a result, newspapers also did the same. And that's just a fact, and we know that. But I, wanted, I was interested in trying to find out exactly pinpointing where and what we did at the Star. I knew that newspapers across the country had done this, but I wanted to know what specifically we, we had done. And the thought was that we were in a time on the summer of 2020 when I think the country was listening to people of color that there was a reckoning happening across this country. And if there was ever a time to look back and to pinpoint and identify your failings in the area of race and race coverage, this is it. And so that's where the idea came for me. I wanted us to to take a look back at what we had done and to recognize it and to lay it out on the table, if you will, for everyone to see, to make an apology for having done that because we know that that was, that was not our charge. It was not our charge to ignore or underrepresent any segment of our community in the pages of our paper. So I knew that that was not our charge and I knew that there was a reckoning happening in the country and that this was the time to look back and to identify those things, to apologize for them as well. But not to just apologize, it's just not enough to say I'm sorry for something. I've said this before in talking about this project is that you could tell people over and over again about any ugliness or any failing that you may have had. That's one thing, but it's another thing altogether to show them what that looked like, what that sounded like. And that's what, what I wanted to do at the Star. You know, back in 2018, you said, as you said before, that there are other papers around the country who've done this. In 2018, we, we talked to some editors at the Montgomery Advertiser, which had done a similar thing that had looked at its history and the role it played in perpetuating racism within the community. You know, they, they like your organization, decided this is the time that we need to come to, to reckon with that and to, to be open about it. Why do you think it was necessary? I'm going to ask you this in a couple of different ways. Why was it necessary, do you think, to apologize to start with? Well, that's just the first step. You know, once you recognize what you have done, 
you need to, to say, we're sorry for that, you know, and start there. You start with the apology and say, this was wrong. We should not have done this and we're sorry for it. And so now we want to take steps to move forward beyond that. And like I said, I mean, you mentioned what happened in 2018 at Montgomery that they made an apology. And I think several other newspapers have also made apologies for individual lacks or lapses in coverage where as it relates to the black community. But what others haven't done as much is to really to find actual stories and show to spread it out like we did where well, we took went back and, and found stories that we wanted to retell and wanted to really pinpoint, break it down as to where the problems were so that our readers could see what it is we're apologizing for. So, you know, how did you go about approaching the, you know, editorial staff about this project and what was the reception like? Oh, immediately they embraced it. I took the proposal to my editors and they listened and they were like, yes, we should definitely do this. And then the conversation began was, okay, this sounds like a huge undertaking. How do we do it? We talked about how we would do it, who would work on it, as well as what the repercussions would be. We, we tried to anticipate, what does this mean for us? If once we say, we're sorry for this coverage, here's what we did wrong. What do we do? How do we go forward from there? What will that look like? So we talked about all of those things. They were very receptive and very excited to do it, recognized also that the timing was right to do it. It needed to be done and it was long overdue. So you, give me an example. You say that you went and you sort of retold some stories from Kansas City, City's past. I'm assuming what you, what you mean by with a new perspective. Can you give me an example of some of those stories and how you reported differently? Sure. So... I'll take the 1977 flood. Okay, so there was a flood in 1977 in Kansas City. Brush Creek flooded and it um, devastated a large segment of the community. And most of that area was, is where African-Americans were living. When we covered that initially, it was dubbed the Plaza Flood, the Country Club Plaza, which is a high-end shopping center in Kansas City, one of our gems, if you will. It was dubbed the Plaza Flood, and all of the coverage, or most of the coverage, centered on that, on the plaza and the property damage that was done to the plaza. Meanwhile, all up and down that creek area, there were homes and lives that were devastated and those were many of those lives and homes were African Americans. We did not, our reporters did not go into those communities and talk to those people about how this flood had impacted their lives. Today we would never do that. We would never cover it like that. Today we would be all up and down those communities, finding those people, talking to them, telling their stories. We didn't do that back then. We sort of ignored the impact that that flood had on their lives. So when we, in the retelling of the story, I wanted to find people, granted it was 1977 and here we are in 2020. So some of these people had passed, but 
what I wanted to do was find some of these folks, talk to them about how the flood had impacted their lives. And not only do that, while I'm telling their story, pinpoint the differences in the way we had covered that flood back then. Also, we also use the Black press. We have the Kansas City Call, which is a weekly Black-owned uh, newspaper in Kansas City, existed at the time, and they wrote about those people. Um, they told their stories. We did not. That's an example of the difference in how we covered that particular incident at that time and how we would have covered it today and how I tried to do it at this at this juncture. Now, obviously, you know, we're talking about 2020 when there is this sort of hyper-focus on the issue of race and, you know, how it is is covered in the press. We look at, at this whole issue and it's sort of the problem. And, you know, I, I think, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that part of it is probably prominent, pro, 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 the, the primary reason for it is probably that, that the majority of the people who were covering these stories were white and they were more often than not, they were men. And then they were covering it from, a, you know, this is their perspective on what Kansas City is. And these are the things that are important to them from their perspective of what Kansas City is. But, but by, because of who they were and, the, and the, the place they were in society and the way they were viewing their city, there were just lots of things they weren't seeing. Or if they saw them, they didn't cover them, perhaps because they didn't think their readers would be interested in them. Right. They didn't recognize that, which is why, you know, diversity in the newsroom was, is extremely important, right? Um, because people tend to gravitate to what they are, where they are comfortable and what they know. And when you have a newsroom or any industry for that matter, where a diverse population is not represented, you are going to miss a, a complete perspective, right? So that's exactly what happened in Kansas City with the Kansas City Star. The predominant reporters, for the most part, the most of the reporters um, and editors for sure were white men. And um, so the editors given direction to the reporters came from a white, if you will, white perspective. And then the reporting itself came from a white perspective. Um, they, they saw the community um, in a way that they, what they were comfortable with. And so they tended to gravitate to covering the plaza and that as a result, they missed a huge story in the, in the African-American community. You know, this is a very public thing that the star did, you know, that we're apologizing for our history, the way we're covering things. And, you know, here are the different types of stories that we covered in the way that we covered them and how we're, we would cover them today. What was uh, the response? Did, did you get much response from the community about this? Oh, absolutely. Let me just back up a little bit. Before we even began to choose stories that we were going to write about, the first thing that we did was we pulled together a focus group of members from the Black community, people who lived here their whole lives, people who were activists involved in the community as a whole. And we spent some time talking with them about what it was we wanted to do and how we had hoped to do it. We wanted to hear from them about their perception of coverage that the Black community had gotten from the Kansas City Star over the years. And so 
going into this, we had already spent some time talking with members of the Black community, so they knew that this was coming, right? As a result, we did hear from, uh, well, not just the Black community, we heard from all of Kansas City, and most of what we heard from people after this published was positive. People were really happy to see us doing it. They thought they called it brave. I don't think it was brave. It was just the right thing to do. But they called it brave. They, they thought that, thank you for doing this. I had no idea. It was a very, very positive response we got from the community. Of course, they also wanted to know, so now what do you do? And what are you doing now? And what are you going to do in the future? Right. So, which is really kind of leads to my next question is this was a project and I know, you know, sometimes, you know, I've been in newsrooms a long time. Sometimes you do this project and you're like, okay, you know, we've covered that issue well, so let's move on to other things. But this is, you know, this speaks to the, the makeup of your newsroom and the way you cover your community. You know, what changes has, has the star implemented or, or have there been changes that the star has implemented? Yeah, so one of the first things that has happened is the Star has hired a race and equity editor, someone who will be involved with the coverage of, you know, not just the Black community, but all of the communities that have been marginalized in Kansas City and in this country, actually. So that was one of the first things that has happened. And that actually happened before the the project published, but in the process of us working on it, a race and equities editor has been hired. That was the first thing. And since then, we've also developed an advisory group. That's our own advisory council, members of the community who we will meet with on a regular basis, maybe monthly, and talk about incidents and happenings in the in the minority communities, talking to them about how we can cover these events and just getting ideas and input from them going forward. Another thing that we've also done is we're talking with the Black press in ways that we can partner and work with them in coverage. We are partnering with other aspects of our community and This whole project was the idea of building a bridge of trust between the STAR and and our community so that we had to build trust with them, that they would trust us, that we have made a commitment to doing a better job of covering our entire community, everybody. And so in building that bridge, now we're just crossing it back and forth, connecting with our community. Also, you know, there have been a number of individual hires at the star representing minority communities in our newsroom so that that perspective is also brought to our day-to-day coverage. So last summer, a lot of newsrooms had increased coverage following the George Floyd and increased their coverage on issues of racism and systematic police violence. While you're putting this project together, while your newsroom is sort of focused on it, you know, how did you handle the the events of, uh, you know, the summer of 2020? Well, the events of 2020 were, it was, um, it was very, in some ways, it was, I felt good about it. And in some ways, it was just heavy on me, you know, just seeing what was happening. The protests were 
I was encouraged by the protests because the protests were, if you looked at what we were seeing in terms of the protests, they were very diverse, right? It wasn't like there were just black folks out there protesting. It was spanning all races, ages. It was this sort of big group, unified group of people who were saying enough is enough. Stop this already. So from that perspective, it was encouraging, but that it was happening at all, and that we were still having to fight and and discuss systemic racism and explain to people what that is. And that, it was like, gosh, my, it's 2020, and we're still talking about this. We're still having to deal with race. So it was good, and it was also depressing and heavy and, and hard. And I felt that I have two boys well, they're, they're men, you know. <laughs> they'll always be boys to you. Right, they'll always be boys to me. I'm, I'm mama. So, you know, one is 29 and one is 24. And I had many discussions with them about what was happening across the country. And it was resting heavy on, on them as well. So therefore rested heavy on me. And maybe that had something to do with why I felt a need to push for the star to do something itself, to look inward, to take this inward look at, at our role in the perpetuation of racism over the years. And I, I'm sure that it had a lot to do with what was happening around the country at the time. So with this project that you did, with the changes that the star has made internally, you know, what is your hope going forward? Where do you hope this will take the star, your community, the reporters? moving forward? You know, my hope is that we get to a point where we are covering the news as it impacts Kansas City as a whole, and that there is, there's not a need to point a finger at any segmented portion of the community, that our coverage is diverse and equitable and represents our community in its entirety. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, whether you you understand what I mean. I mean, yeah, I do. Yeah, that's my hope that we are covering the people who live in Kansas City as people who live in Kansas City and all that that implies. That we don't have to segment our community into, you know, okay, this is a story for white folks, this is a story for black folks, this is a story for LGBT. TQ, this is a story for for Asian community. This is a a story for our indigenous community that we were writing about Kansas City and all its riches and everything that contributes to making Kansas City a great place to live and all of its diversity. It's this wonderful, delicious, melting pot of people and cultures and we cover it holistically and that we do not have to to point fingers at whether we're covering the black community or the Hispanic community because we're covering the entire community and it's obvious. That would be my hope. That's my dream. So what would you uh, suggest to, you know, a reporter or a journalist or an editor who's in their their newsroom and they want to take on some some project like this? Well, first recognize it is it was very time consuming. It was very research based. It was hard. It was really hard. It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done just because of the level of research that was required. But I would say that 
if you want to look inward, I think that everybody should. I think that you, you need to first identify that there is a problem or has been a problem and look inward and do it. I think that all news organizations will do it because it puts you on notice, right? So once you do that and you really see it for yourself and then you make it public, then the public's watching you and it really puts you on notice that you ha are being held accountable. You're holding yourself accountable and people will watch and people will, will be on you. They will be checking you to make sure that you're doing what you said you were going to do. So I would recommend that news organizations across the country do the same. Excellent. Uh, Marae Rose, thank you for being on the podcast. This is, you know, this is a great project. We'll include a link to it and I encourage everybody to look at all the different aspects of it. There are videos, there are different stories. I was really, you know, I'm a history guy. I loved looking at the way you, you handle history. This is a tough but necessary story. And I think you guys did a great job with this project and I, I wish you well moving forward. Thanks, Michael. Maybe we can check in somewhere down the line and uh, talk about what we've done. I hope so. I hope you, if that's what you want, I hope another, you, you have another 22 years at the star. It's a, uh, it's a testament. <laughs> it's a testament, you know, in the day, the days that we live, we live now, unfortunately, that so few people who've been around in newsrooms that long, but it, it's a great thing because then it shows you somebody who knows their community, knows their beat and can still continues to want to, uh, you know, make things better and to affect change. I think that's a really admirable thing. Yeah, this is a job definitely that requires passion. I'll say that. I will say that. And I've said this before on the po our podcast that, you know, if you're a journalist, if you're a, real, a serious journalist, you're an optimist. You have this belief that if you report something, if you tell the truth, if you push people's voices forward, that it's going to make a change, it's going to make things better. Looking at such a dark history for your paper, for your city, but, you know, finding light in it so that you can, you know, affect a positive change and build towards a better future. I think it's, it's a great thing. Yep. Thank you. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>